Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cold Feet Podcast. Join our journey as we interview people in this cold plunge and we delve on the adventure of holistic health, athletic development, barefoot education, washing the norm, and so much more. So dive in, grab a hot cocoa, and enjoy the episode. Before we start our podcast episode, we would like to give a brief shout out to our podcast sponsors. Most shoes harm your mobility by over-restricting your foot's natural movement. With the Ursus from Barefoot Athletics, a shoe designed with minimal restrictions, your feet can move the way nature intended, so you can move with more confidence and strength in every step. Barefoot Shoes was founded by Chris Duffin, who attributes proper foot biomechanics as foundational to his success in squatting and deadlifting over 1,000 for reps. He created Barefoot Shoes to provide a minimal shoe designed for strength athletes. Go to barefoot.shoes slash TBSR to check out the Ursus and you can save 10% with the code TBSR10 to purchase the strongest minimalist shoe available. As a gym owner, I usually lift barefoot. When I can't lift barefoot, I love lifting in my barefoot shoes for both the health benefits of lifting barefoot and the increased ground feel I have in all my lifts. You don't need supplements to build muscle, lose fat, and get healthy, but the right ones can help. That's why over 350,000 fitness folk have chosen Legion. Well, that and their 100% natural products, their clinically effective ingredients and doses, and their no-hassle money-back guarantee. I've been following Michael Matthews, the CEO of Legion Athletics Journey, since 2012, and I am super duper impressed with their supplements. They have a wide variety of everything from protein powders, pre-workouts, post-workouts, omega-3s, and bundles. And you can save a whooping 20% with the discount code HABER, H-A-B-E-R. So just log in to legionathletics.com, and the discount code is HABER for 20% off. Earthrunners are some of my favorite minimalist sandals. Earthrunners were created to rewild our lives in response to the typical modern domesticated lifestyle, which is causing numerous health, psychological, and social issues. Through rewilding and grounding, we aim to bring stronger, healthier, and more resilient individuals and communities back to our society. If you're not familiar with grounding, grounding is exposing your bare feet or body to the earth beneath you. And if you're unable to do that, you can ground with sandals like Earthrunners with their unique copper plug and copper laces. Grounding has a huge display of benefits such as reducing inflammation, improving sleep, and improving happiness. So you can check out Earthrunners at earthrunners.com and you can use our discount code of TBSR10 to get 10% off. Hi, I'm Sean and I'm the creator of the Cold Feet Podcast. Every week, I bring out awesome people, I dump them in the ice bath while they freeze their butt off, and I interview them. Why ice baths? Glad you asked. One, mental fortitude. If someone is willing to sit and freeze their butt off in the middle of the winter, I want them on my show. Two, accelerated fat loss. Ice bathing taps into your brown fat tissues and can potentially help you burn fat and keep fat off long term, obviously as part of a greater healthy lifestyle. Number three, it can potentially help with your recovery. Now, I don't recommend it right after a workout, but it can be a tool to help you recover. And number four, a better immune system. So stay tuned, grab a hot cocoa, and enjoy the episode.
right, we're good, baby. Let's roll. So, well, I got my hot coffee in December. Jason here, who we're gonna introduce momentarily, is busy freezing his butt off in the ice bath literally. in the winter, literally, in December. So, welcome to the Cold Feet Podcast. I'm your host today, and my name is Sean. I'm a strength and conditioning coach, and one of the many of the unique privileges I have are working with youth athletes, as well as specifically working with the football team here in Israel. I'm gonna let Jason introduce himself, give us a little bit of a background specifically in your uh, athletic endeavors as opposed to the rest of your uh, daily careers. Absolutely, Jason has. Um, I have uh, been in sports since I was 10 years old. Uh, I used to play basketball um, for many, many years, then uh, graduated into uh, playing football. Uh, playing football is an amazing experience. It's more of a, um, a more in-depth team sport and been playing football for 10 years now, since I was 18. Um, and uh, won three championships, played on the Israeli national football team. We won uh, our first uh, game traveling abroad in Spain uh, in 2015. And um, moved into coaching. And over years, I decided, you know what, I want to go back and play. I feel I'm still young and spry. Cheers to that. And I uh, wanted to finish off uh, my career just uh, giving one last push, leaving it all out on the field. I like that. All right, so what we're going to focus on today is more Jason's experience as a coach. And then, because we're both coaches here, and then we're going to move on to the athletic endeavor. So, first and foremost, one of the privileges, privileges that you've had that I've seen you do is you worked here with the youth uh, flag football team. When I say youth, we're talking like what ages was it? Uh, we're talking about first grade through fourth grade. Okay, which is how old? Uh, eight years old to, or six, seven years old to ten years old. Got you. So we're talking with young kids, and that's one of the things I do. I work with these kids, but the difference between us is that me being a strength and conditioning coach, I'm working to build their athletic skills. I'm working to build their base strength, their base power, their reactive, their reactive ability, their agility, their speed. And the problem and the flaw that I've seen, especially here in Israel, is that we've been trying to make. How are you doing? I'm good. We've been nice. Move around a bit. We've been trying to make our kids, our athletes, superstars at the age of ten. Right. Which is a big mistake in my yes. professional opinion. And Absolutely. what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely, completely agree. You're never going to have uh, the highest of quality players. Sometimes you'll have one person who's better than the other, but a lot of times it's because they're just a little older than everybody. So while there are games in the age group of first grade to fourth grade, the difference between someone who just turned six and is now in first grade, between someone who just turned uh, 11 and is still in fourth grade is a huge difference. So you're talking about just uh, uh, physical and um, just mental uh, age gap uh, that's so strong that uh, it's really hard to expect all your players to be at such a high caliber. In performance. Yeah, a big problem that I see as a coach is say you were to take from six to 12 year old training and they're all practicing together. The six year olds have zero intermuscular coordination, have no body control, barely know how to kick a ball, barely know how to catch a ball. Whereas these 12 year olds, you know, some of them are pretty advanced. In fact, some of them might be weightlifting already, which is totally cool, totally acceptable. So not only are you taking the better athletes, the older ones, the stronger ones, and making them even better, the younger ones are lagging more behind and this happens even worse on a larger on a, on a uh, older scale where let's say you were to take a very developed 15 year old 
who is a superstar who could probably go play, you know, uh, high school ball with the best athletes or even college ball. And you take a very, very underdeveloped 15-year-old, and then the underdeveloped 15-year-old just doesn't get any career. And the older 15-year-old just gets better. So there was actually this cool concept that they did in Holland in soccer that they took the 15-year-old the who was like mature, developed, strong, and they made him train with 18-year-olds. So he was always training at his level. And the 15-year-old, the other 15-year-old, they kept there. And then when they both hit 20, they were equal in um, athletic ability and ball skills, which is what we should all be doing. You can't lump not just ages together, but even within the same age, Jason and me are almost the same age, he's around a year or two older than me, but we have different athletic ability. You can't always be lumping the athletes together, even if they're the same age, because they have different ability. You should be dividing them into different ability group. Now, what I've seen, I've worked with youth soccer organizations, I've worked with youth uh, um, football organizations, I've worked with youth flag football organizations. We don't care as the strength and conditioning coaches about the games at that age. If they're going to tell me, take it easy on them, they have this game on the weekend. If you say it's this tournament where they're, they're playing against... My legs are turning red, is that okay? Yeah, you're good, you're chilling. That just means it's burning? We'll get there, yeah, you're fine. <laughs> if we play with this... Oh! This thing fell out. Yeah, I got this microphone. You want to show it to the camera real quick? Oh, that, that is nice. The microphone is still light, baby. Okay, back to topic. So... If they have some sort of important tournament that's like going international and they're being showed on TV and you know it's really important that they play at their best, obviously as a coach I understand, but 90% of the games as a youth athlete don't matter because I don't care about the outcomes of their games when they're kids. I care about the outcomes of their games when they're 18 years old, when they're 20 years old, when they're fully developed, which means somewhere between the age of 12 and, and 18, I'll be going as hard and heavy as I can at the gym, developing their speed, developing their strength, developing their power, and making them as most efficient as possible. So when they peak at the age of 18 to 20, it's going to stay warm, you know. Yeah. When they peak at the age of 18 to 20, they can be phenomenal athletes. Now, Jason, as a coach of ball sports, you okay there? Yep. Take a few deep breaths. Good. As a coach of ball sports, both with youth and adults, because you've worked with both. Yes. When I say a coach, I mean specifically not a strength division coach, but like a, a football coach, you know, getting a better at football. What do you feel is lacking in youth? What do you feel is lacking in adults? And what can be better, specifically here in Israel? Um, in terms of athletic training-wise, yeah. uh, knowledge, I think, at every single level, the knowledge that uh, everyone gets is very inaccurate. I don't think that they have proper training coaches uh, that we really need in order to progress athletically. Um, you know, the way I train right now at 28 um, by you, thanks to your guidance, Quick cameo, quick uh, shout out, Sean Fit for Life. Let's go! But the way that the way that I was taught to train at 28, I'm way more athletic and developed as an athlete at 28 than I was at 18, and I think that's a problem. I think that's a serious gap that you're seeing throughout this whole entire country, uh, and it happens when a lot of coaches, including myself, at times, uh, it's easy for us to get stuck in certain ways because we were taught how to do something one way, uh, and when you try to reinvent the wheel it doesn't always come out the way that you want it to be and people are scared to, to reinvent it and um, challenge what they do and try to develop to the next level. Uh, so what you're able to do here with Sean's guidance for instance, um, he's always learning and developing uh, and it's easier when you're younger because you can sponge a lot of knowledge quickly and you have a lot of time that you can try out new things. Um, you're able to uh, study and develop your strategies and how you develop athletes and progress it to the point where we're at our peak 
um, peak athleticism uh, when we're ready for to play sports. So again, I mean, going back to me at 28, I'm way more athletic than I, and stronger uh, than I was at 18, which I think uh, should be the opposite way, right? As you get older, it should kind of be deteriorating a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a huge gap. That's one. Um, the other two, I would say. Um, coaches uh, training in general when it comes to understanding the sport um, I think that uh, it's hard to find um, good quality coaches all around just because they don't just show up at your door to not get paid to coach in a lot of these different leagues and in certain leagues or, where they or do pay or a very and in certain leagues where they do pay they don't have the salary that can that can fit the the, the, no, what, the, the caliber of person the cal- you're for. so the knowledge that you're getting is always going to be subpar um, to, to good unless you unless you stumble upon that one young coach who really understands what he's doing um, which thank God we were able to have for instance with the rebels with Barria like he absolutely should have been paid but uh, um, you know he understood what it was and there was a bigger thing to football in Israel that uh, you know we didn't have to get into right now uh, the third gap that I would say is in uh, sports um, is probably the way that we treat ourselves games. I think taking a nice bath right now is a key component, something that we don't really do often, something that, you know, we do this because we think it's fun. Hey, let's jump in an ice bath. But professional athletes know how to recover properly. And the recovery, we don't we don't recover properly. You know, a lot of us uh, don't get paid enough money that we feel like this is our life. Uh, So we have other jobs. So when you have other jobs and you have wives and families and you're doing this a lot for fun and you're getting a little bit of a salary on the side if you are uh then it's it's you don't focus on the recovery as much because it's not your life so so instead of going in the ice bath and going to sleep at uh 9 p.m because you want to wake up to go train at 6 a.m it doesn't really happen so you end up going to a bar you go out with your friends you're hanging out and you find yourself out till 11 p.m or 12 a.m sometimes and then you get back home and then you're going to sleep and you wake up at 6 a.m. for work. So it's a very different lifestyle, but the recovery aspect itself, if we could improve on that aspect, it's going to improve greatly on the performance of our athletes. I think it's important to differentiate between an athlete who does it completely professionally, is getting paid a full salary, surrounded by coaches, physical therapists, massage therapists, top-tier strength and conditioning facilities and coaches, and you know, he lives his whole life around to recover. Both me and Jason are amateur athletes, which means yes, we play for our country, but it's not our career. I happen to be involved in the sports performance world in my career. Jason's not. Jason in his day runs a business company. Yeah? Or and was a lawyer as well for a period of time. You know, it's it's more because we love athleticism, we love playing sports and we have to maximize the performance in the sport while still running our daily life. I do want to reflect on the points you made and the first point that Jason made was about how he's in much better shape at 28 than he was at 18. Unfortunately, people can go their whole lives without ever hitting their potential until they around the hit the age of you know, 30, 40, and then they, their potential is lost. They're never going to go back to that, what they could have been at 18. The sweet spot is from 8 years old. I'm going to say it again. 8 years old up until like the age of like somewhere between 18 and 25, depending on the person's genetics. But if you take an athlete at 8 years old teaching the fundamentals, and I'm going to say fundamentals... I do mean, you know, just coordination, you know, understanding how to stabilize correctly, understanding how to run, understanding how to move, but I mean even more so, the basic movements we do in the gym. You teach an eight-year-old how to hinge, how to squat, how to press, how to, how to pull. When he's 12 years old and he goes to a little bit more of an advanced step, 
He's going to be like, yeah, I know how to you know, set my scapula back. I know how to squeeze my core properly. And then at the age of 13, 14, 15, you could already be teaching me how to Olympic lift. I've seen 15-year-olds who are power cleaning 150 kilo. There's no reason they shouldn't be. The problem is, is that the first time, let's say in Israel, a soccer star goes into a real gym, maybe is at 18 years old. That's 12, did I do the math right? That's 10 years of wasted potential. That's 10 years you didn't build a guy. You start building him at 18, maybe he'll hit a peak at like 25, but by then, it's too late. He's losing his potential. It, it's, it, it's a big, big mistake when I say athleticism. I mean, you start with a base of strength, then for, and obviously strength, mobility, and stability, and from there you move on to strength and uh, explosive power. We're talking triple extension, we're talking jumps, we're talking bounds, we're talking plyometrics. From there, you can teach an athlete how to run correctly, how to change direction correctly, how to slow down, how to speed up. When's the last time you were on the field and you saw one of your athletes being taught how to sprint? Besides, <laughs> besides me being there. Um, never? never? Good. Every field, I'm there's the national one team. On the national team, there was like one practice. There's that one guy. And then the coaches thought it was like a waste, a, a waste of time. There's that one coach. There's that one coach who always wants to gas the athletes. He always wants to say, oh, we'll do victories. We'll do 13 laps. We'll do 100 laps. We'll do 3,000 shuttle runs. And you're taking guys, you're completely gassing them. Gassing is like, can't breathe. But are you making them faster or are you just making them out of breath? I, as a coach, I want to make them faster. I'm going to teach them how to strike the floor, how to move their elbows, how to stabilize, how to move their lower body, or ensure that there's no mobility restrictions, that they can't move their lower body, so they can actually get faster instead of just having them be tired for no reason. That so I think not every trainer or strength and conditioning for myself has to be the best he doesn't have to have the best football skills or the best soccer skills or the best baseball skills. But he has to be the best at his craft in the gym and on the field, understanding the uh, speed and agility development, understanding the strength and power. Every football coach, but I do have to have a basic understanding of the sport. Like if I'm coaching a tennis player, I've never, I, I play tennis casually, but I've never played tennis professionally. I need to understand what tennis is, how the sport works. So too, a coach such as Jason, he doesn't have to be a strength and conditioning coach, but he has to have the basic knowledge of a strength and conditioning coach to understand how to program his workouts, how to make sure that they're progressing amongst themselves. I've seen my person, by working with Jason for two to three years already, how he grew from being a football coach to a football coach with strength and conditioning knowledge because the second everything tied in together, oh, triple extension, oh, that's exactly how you shut up, that's exactly how you push them, that's exactly how you block. That, that body coordination that he learned from the gym was able to carry over both himself on the field and teaching his athletes. So if you're a coach, a sports-specific coach, meaning like you're a baseball coach, you're a football coach, you're a soccer coach, you're a rugby coach, make sure you have some base of strength and conditioning knowledge. How do you feel? Old. Fantastic. I want to speak I want to speak a tiny bit about, both of us are amateur athletes, we both play for Israel, but we don't get paid for it. We, You mentioned it in the third point, how you said that like you have to recover like an athlete, you never get that ability. Right. So I totally agree with that point. But, you know, what's it like being a, an amateur athlete where you're literally, like, sacrificing your body in the field, but you're just a regular dude? Wow. Uh, what's it like to be an amateur? Really, you know, honestly, the way that I look at it <clears throat> is that the people that play as amateur athletes don't really get paid. Um, I really look at it as, like, you're, you're really doing this for the love of the sport. You're doing this because you love, you love, you love this time. And um, for everybody that might have a different outlook on what it is for me it's it's because I love the sport also because I need to have that outlet um, that is a healthier outlet for me do you think a competitive sport like ours is a healthy outlet 
I think it is a healthy outlet. I think if you train properly and you take care of your body, it's a healthy outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is it healthier to go to the bar and grab three beers and maybe chicken wings or to go have a nice workout and that relieves your stress? What would you think is healthier? Right. Who knows? Maybe, maybe, the, maybe the athletic point, maybe the bar point might be healthier, mm-hmm. but you know, if we're talking specifically about um, you know, training and whatnot and keeping your body in tip-top shape, I think it's better to have an outlet that leads you outside to run around um, and be amongst a, a whole group of people instead of going to a bar with, you know, either by yourself or with uh, one friend or so and just hang out and eat food. So. I think, I think personally think what makes tackle football unique is that even though we're not playing... I wouldn't even say at college level. We're not play, we're not even close to where the NFL is holding. Obviously, we're probably like junior high school. High school. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you're still going to play with 250 pound dudes who want to tackle you, or block you, or shove you, right. or grab your helmet and pull you by your neck. So yeah, like, there's some big guys too. Yeah. There are some very very big and strong guys too. Those are the guys that everyone, you know, is kind fears. of fears in our league because. They've never trained. They've been never been in the gym. They don't know, and their technique isn't very good. It's not a casual sport. It's not the kind of sport, at least from my perspective, where you're just like out of shape or whatever, haven't really moved. Don't really okay, I'll play. It's not like you know, pick up game of baseball. It's tackle football, and it's a man's game tonight. It's a modern day gladiator sport. Yeah, and if you want to be good at it and stay injury free, you really got to work hard to to dominate at it, and that pushes you. When I started playing football, it pushed me not just in my workout. A life because I was working. I made me a better person, a better husband, better friend, better businessman, better trainer, because I wanted to be better at something. Now, I personally think that everyone should take up a competitive sport, not necessarily tackle football because it could have a big strain on your yeah, ribs, yeah, ankles, it might, it might knees, not be, it might not heads, be for you. Nose, ears. It might not be for you. It's a very aggressive sport. Right, it takes a lot of uh, work and dedication. So, for every episode, exception to the last one, I sat comfortably and. Let my interviewee freeze his butt off. So this time, I'm gonna sit in the bath. I'm gonna get a little cold and comfy. Ah! <laughs> I'm gonna get a little cold and comfy while you get to interview me. But since the interview's over, I'm gonna give a quick, shameless plug-in. I just launched an online speed and agility accelerator program. This program is designed to help you get faster and change direction faster and dominate at your sport. What makes it unique is it's not meant to take over the current workouts you're doing. It's three days a week and you just add it on to your current regimen. If you want to be explosive on the field and be a dominant athlete, check out. I'll drop the link below. Stay fit. Sean fit for life. Woo-hoo! Hey, I'm Sean and I'm the Barefoot Athlete. And I want to welcome you on this six-week Barefoot Transition course. Two and a half years ago, We started developing this course and we wanted it to be 12 months long. Why 12 months? Because we felt that if you just spent dozens of years in cushioned shoes, you can't transition that quickly. Realizing that 12 months is not sustainable, we shortened it to six weeks. And in these six weeks, you're going to dive into foot, knee, ankle, hip, shoulder mobility. You're going to dive into calf, ankle, knee, hip strengthening. You're going to learn how to take care of your feet, how to release them with tons of soft tissue work. After the first phase is over, after the three weeks are done, your pain is gone, your knees, your hips, your feet are feeling great, ready to rumble, move on to the advanced stage. We learn how to land, we learn how to jump, we learn how to produce force and absorb force. Every single week, 
is action-packed with play, fun, challenges to challenge yourself, your friends, your loved ones, and your community. Tons of strengthening, tons of footwork, and we can guarantee you that in six weeks' time, you will be much, much closer to being able to fully love life and live life in minimalist footwear. And the best part of it all, you're not limited to six weeks. So if you want to go back and repeat a phase, you're more than welcome to. So let's go, come along, and enjoy the course.